0: The word of our Lord from the Epistle to Titus says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Amen. Last week we began the season of Lent, and I introduced a word to you that happens also again to be the adjective of my sermon title, and that word is cruciform might be an adjective that you're not all that familiar with, but it it simply means what it says. Crucial ought to remind you of crucifixion, and form ought to remind you of the shape of a thing. To be cruciform is to be cross-shaped. It is the idea of bearing the shape of a cross. And last week we talked specifically about cruciform love. What love looks like when it begins to be shaped by the cross of Jesus. And when it begins to be shaped by the cross that awaits before us on Good Friday. And the cross that awaits before us as Christ invites us to come and to bear the cross. The cross is the emblem of our faith. And as an emblem, it reminds us of suffering, it reminds us of betrayal, it reminds us of rejection, it reminds us of loneliness, but it reminds us undoubtedly of death. When we think of the cross, when we think of that beautiful yet startling image of our faith, we are reminded of death. We're reminded, as the old liturgy says, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It reminds us of the death of Jesus, that our Savior died in our behalf, that He was reconciling the world to Himself, that He was bringing us back into fellowship with God the Father through death. The cross reminds us also that we will also one day die. As the New Testament epistle says, it is appointed to man once to die, and beyond that, the judgment. And on Ash Wednesday, as we kick off the Lent season, it sounds kind of weird saying kick off the Lent season. But uh, as we begin the Lenten season, we, we are imposed with ashes in the form of a cross. On our forehead, and this morning, as as we baptized Caden, I anointed him with oil in the shape of a cross on his forehead. Because the cross reminds us that we are frail, that we are finite, that we are creaturely beings, and that because of sin's entry into our world, we will one day die. We are reminded by the cross of our mortality. We're reminded that this life will not go on forever, but this life will give way to another life because of Christ. The cross reminds us of death in that also in the meantime, before we die, we are invited to come and to bear our cross and to begin that that painful process of dying to self. We're invited to come and to lay down our lives, to surrender our rights, to live for the sake of others, and others sometimes use us and misuse us. Others sometimes ignore us, which is perhaps even worse than being misused. We hate to be ignored. But the cross still invites us to come and to die to self. To come and to not live for self, not live for our own self-interest, not to live for what benefits us, but to live for the sake of others. To live with others as our chief value in life. Because God tells us if we value Him or if we love Him, we must also love our neighbor. Death it's an odd, it's an odd uh, experience in life. It's an experience that none of us have ever personally experienced. We've never walked through the, that dark valley ourselves. We have perhaps walked with some toward that valley. But for those who have never tasted death's sting... It does raise a variety of questions that we normally don't ask. We begin to ask questions that aren't a part of everyday conversation. One of the questions that we tend to ask is, well, what now? I remember in my first pastorate, um, there in Ackerman, Mississippi, at Salem Independent Methodist Church, we buried a dear, a, a, a dear old lady, and she was she was a she was quiet, she was serious, but she loved people and she loved her church. And we only had a couple of kids at the time. Imogene was was a a toddler, and Aiden was a baby. But I remember a few weeks after her funeral her son, began to ask me some questions that he had been wrestling with for those previous weeks. Again, we began to ask questions that we don't normally ask when we've encountered death. And one of the questions he asked was about resurrection. Because unlike some, I actually believe in resurrection. I believe that the body we lay into the ground, just as Paul believed, will one day come out of that ground and God will gloriously change it. Amen. The hope of the Christian life is not just life beyond death. In, in fact, as, as uh, N.T. Wright says, the hope of the Christian life is life beyond life after death. It is resurrection that God will raise up again our bodies. But Jimmy, he wanted to know Where's mom right now? Because at the graveside, pastor, you put your hand on her coffin and you said that one day I'll be able to hug her neck again and one day I'll be able to look into her eyes again. Well, where is she? Is she in the ground or is she in heaven with Jesus? I said, well, both. She is no doubt in heaven with Jesus because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In the moment of death, we are ushered into the presence of God. But there's hope even beyond that. And that hope is that God will raise up that body. And he will dignify it and glorify it through resurrection. Death, asks, uh, death, death calls us to ask those types of questions. What now? Where, where are we after death? What's what's happening with the body? What's happening with the soul? And those types of questions actually get to the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. And that is, what is personal identity? That may sound like a technical phrase for you, but what I'm essentially asking is, what makes a person a person? You might think, oh, well, well, a person, that's easy. A person's a person. No matter how small. And I'll say, amen. But what makes a person a person? Because at death, we begin to talk about the separation of the soul from the body. And we start thinking, well, wait a minute. So is that body the person? Or is that just some shell to be cast off? Or is that soul a person? And if so, wait a minute. I've never met that soul. I've always known this person by the body that I've encountered with him. I, when, when I hear the name Bill, I think of Bill's face. Because I've met him, I know him. And I think of experiences we've had together. I think of things that we've laughed about. I, I think of of talking about coffee and different things like that. And so a person is more... It's To say what a person is is a little bit more difficult than we might initially think. But a person is really a complexity. Yeah, people are complex. They're weird. They're different. They're not like us. They look different. Sometimes they smell different. But also they respond to life differently. But I don't mean weird when I say a complexity. What I mean is that a person is a, it's a combination of a variety of things. A person, to be a person is to have a personality. And we all have different personalities. That's chiefly what makes us so weird to one another. Some personalities are bubbly and some are are, are less so. Some are introverted, (laughs) others are Extroverted. (laughs) We typically don't even know what introvert and extrovert means. We think if somebody's quiet, they must be uh, an introvert. But oddly enough, if you're having a party, they're always there. An introvert likes to likes to pull away in order to be recharged. An extrovert just likes to be charged by being around others. They don't have to talk. They just like being around people. Some of us don't like being around people, but I'm glad you're here anyhow this morning. You're bearing your cross well. But... Our personality, and that's such a difficult and abstract thing to describe, but but you know it when you see it. The sense of humor, the way of dealing with problems. Some of us run from them. Some of them run right into them. We we're ready to. We may not like problems, but we sure like to get them behind us. Some are very dry personalities. but your personality is a part of who you are. It's a part of your identity that lives on beyond death. A person is also a complexity that includes character. And character is something that is in short supply these days. I say it's in short supply. Some folks are people of bad character. And that's a part of who you are. It is tied into the fabric of your being. Whether you're honest or dishonest. Whether you're fair or crushing. Whether you're self-given or self-absorbed. All of those things, those character traits that we as parents try to build into our children. And all those things that as children, we always had adults... Eh, hey watching us and 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 calling us out when we weren't acting in good character. But character is a part of what makes a person a person, good or bad. Sometimes, many times, probably most times, that character is mixed. But a person is more than just these abstract things. A person is also a series of experiences or life events. It you could also say we part of who we are is our memory or our memories. If you've seen the movie um, uh, Inside Out, you remember the different—forget what they're called—the the different spheres of, of the little girl's life, not the little spheres of spheres of memories, but the the, the core places uh, that were part of her life were shaped by the different experiences she had, and some you had family that was such an integral part of who she was because of a variety of experiences, some good and some bad, mostly good, that had been built into that, and it became a, a part of her personality, a part of who she was, a part of her identity. And you and I are shaped by life's events. We are shaped by the experiences that we encounter in life. We are shaped by our memories. And not only are we shaped by them, we are given the the joy but also the deep and holy responsibility of building into the memories and experiences of others, particularly one another. And so, to be a holy uh, a person is is a a holy and a sacred thing. Because many of these experiences and memories, most of them probably involve the last thing that I want to talk about about what makes a person a person, and that is relationships. Part of who you are. Is determined by who those are around you. The family you grew up in, good or bad, the friends you had, wild or tame, the teachers you had in school, the frat brothers and sorority sisters. Your wife, your husband, your closest friends, your greatest enemies, all of those relationships in life play a part in making you who you are. To be a person is to necessarily be a part of relationships, and the most immediate of those relationships are, is the family. Persons come in families. There are natural or biological families. There are adoptive families. There are also congregational families, what we typically uh, speak of when we talk about the people of God. You know, do you have a church home? Do you have a church family? And congregations begin to take on the personality of a family because when a family's together, things are a little bit different. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. But when you get around those folks that are family, you begin behaving a little different. Not not trying to put on a show or live a double life or anything like that. But, you know, when you're around mom and dad, you're just a little different. You kind of go back to that, you know, that that at kid mode not kid but you know I'm a son I'm a daughter mode when when we gather together on Sunday mornings as a congregation there's a personality that is a part of this congregation and a part of every congregation some of those personalities are terrible some of them are wonderful I happen to like ours but there are congregational families there are also business or corporate families some of you have been, been part of the same company for years and years and years, decades even. Some of you retired from a company that, that you are a part of for decades, generations of time. My mom is still working for a company that she began working for when she was in her late teens, I believe. Now, it's been bought out by a variety of other folks. It still doesn't bear the same name. But there's a family, a sense of family that that begins to develop in that type of context where you're working with the same people every day, week after week, year after year. And sometimes it's a great family to be a part of. You look forward to the Christmas parties. You look forward to luncheons and socials and that sort of thing. And you're excited about bringing your family to that family because it's almost like a different part of your life that they're never around. But the interesting thing about persons coming in families is that even the divine persons come in a family. The eternal father is the eternal father because he has an eternal son. God is not some lonely person sitting out in eternity playing with his thumbs wondering what he's going to do to bide his time. God is eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Living in, in, in unquenchable love and fellowship. And the reason we come in families is because we've been created in His image. We are relational beings by nature. One of the worst things we can do is to begin cutting ourselves off from those relationships that shape us well. Sometimes we do need to start cutting back those relationships that shape us poorly. But one of the worst things we can do is to begin pulling back and detaching from our church family, detaching from 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 our relatives that that build value in us begin pulling back from those friends that are an encouragement to us and and push us on into loving our families well into loving our friends well because we are relational creatures God has made us in His image. He has made us for relationships. Relationship primarily with Himself. But through that relationship with Himself, He's created us also for relationship with one another and to encourage one another in that pursuit of knowing God. And in baptism, we are welcomed into the family of God, the church. Baptism does not guarantee us heaven. But what it does guarantee us is membership into the covenant family of God. Sadly, the Scriptures tell us that not all who are part of that family remain faithful to the end. The pages of Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New, are are filled with a a kind of an undercurrent of a tragic tale of countless Israelites who refuse to faithfully follow God. It's filled with... One like Judas Iscariot. Another like Demas, a dear friend to Paul, a coworker in the faith, a co-worker in the work of the gospel. And Paul said that the world drew him away in the end. Nonetheless, in baptism we are welcomed into a family And we are given a new identity. And that new identity is a cruciform one. It is an identity that is being shaped by the cross of Jesus. It is an identity that is being shaped by others. To look like the shield of the family. Which is a cross. we're welcomed into God's family, and as we're welcomed into His family, there are some principles by which we are called to live. A few things I want to say to you in the way of an aside is this. Children of Christian parents are to be raised as Christian children. That may seem like a no-brainer to you, but sometimes I think the church needs to be reminded of that. We are raising Christian children... We are not raising devils who one day after they've sowed their wild oats, hopefully maybe come back at some revival service. We are raising up little people who we hope will follow Jesus. And so we've got the responsibility to, to show them what that looks like. the charge I made to Jeremy and Billy that they are to teach Caden what this means, that they are to teach him the Scriptures, that they are to teach him what it means to be a child of God. Those are pledges that we as parents ought to remind ourselves and repeat to ourselves that we've been charged with. Because children of Christian parents are to be raised as Christian children. There is no age that is too young to be told, Jesus loves you and he created you to look like him and he died for you so that you would come back to him. And God has something special through your life and God's spirit is leading you. Second thing I want to mention to you in the way of passing is As the family of God, we embrace, shape, remind, and love one another. Again, a part of what it means to be a person, personality, um, character, experiences and memory, relationships. That is to be shaped in a cruciform way in the life of the church. As God's family, we are to embrace one another, to welcome one another, to bring one another in. We are also charged with shaping each other and part of what it means to be God's people is to be a reminding people because we are a people that remember most communion tables say across the front in remembrance of me because we are a people of memories we are a people of experiences and and our identity as the family of God goes beyond just our short time together it reaches on back into the history of God's saving acts. And we're to love one another. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, and and John his apostle repeated it in his epistles of the New Testament the world does not know that we're Jesus' disciples by all of the good that we do. It does not there are plenty of organizations that do quite a bit of good. The world does not know that we are Jesus' disciples by how thick and big and black our Bibles are. The world does not know that we are Jesus' disciples by, by the t-shirts that we wear. I, I, I had a t-shirt. We still have a t-shirt um, that says they'll know we are Christians by our t-shirts. And there's some truth in that. But come on, really? Um, I, I still love that shirt. But Jesus said... They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And the context in which he said that was in serving them the meal of his death and in washing their feet. And Judas was there. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. It was not until after Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer that he said, what you must do, go do quickly. The family of God is to love one another. And then lastly, if you don't have a church family, we want to welcome you into ours. Kind of like it. What is God's family supposed to be like? Well, just like a natural or biological or adoptive family, God's family is to be a complexity of persons. Specifically a complexity of persons living in covenant with Him and one another. You, know, you and I are, are different. We we've got various personalities, we've got various gifts. As Paul talked about the body having many parts, the family of God is not—it's—it's it's not uniform, and it's not monolithic. It is varied. It is diverse. It—it has—it is—it has variety. It has complexity because it's different persons that God is bringing into covenant with one another and with Himself. There are diverse personalities. Our character is to be shaped. To be holy. There are shared experiences and memories that we have as the family of God. And his family, this complexity of persons in covenant, is to, is to live in righteous relationships. So as God's family, we shape one another and we shape one another in the shadow of the cross of Jesus. We begin shaping one another and together we as his people are being shaped. But God's family is also supposed to be a home. It is a place of safety, of strength, and of support. In Paul's letter to Titus, in this passage that we read this morning, you have several different phrases being, being mentioned. Woven all throughout these verses, Paul is talking about grace. And he's talking about mercy. He's talking about the kindness of God. He talks about bearing one another. Being woven together the family of God is to be a place that is gracious that is merciful that is a safe place a safe haven a place that provides security and strength and support for its people and God's family is supposed to be a conduit of goodness and blessing three times Paul mentions good works in this passage just a few verses And three times he repeats that phrase, good works. And notice what he says specifically about those good works. He calls God's family to be zealous for good works. To be passionate about doing good. To be excited about doing good. He calls them also to be ready for good works. To be prepared. To have the sleeves rolled up. To do good. But he ends the passage by again repeating that phrase, good works. And in that context, he says that we are to be careful to maintain good works. I think it's obvious that that Paul expects Titus to be developing a community that is a conduit of goodness and blessing. And as God welcomes us into His family and begins to shape our identity in the form of a cross, He wants to use us to bring blessing to others. He wants us to do good. We are all odd people. I don't know if you expected to hear that at church this morning. That's right. I said it. You're weird. And that's a joyous thing. Because as weird as you are and as weird as I am, God looks at us and sees something precious and amazing. Something that has been formed to reflect his image in his world. And he calls a bunch of weirdos and a bunch of oddities together to be like the island of misfit toys, David. So that together we can find strength in one another and we can encourage one another and we can worship together and so that we can go out and do good together. But as we go out, we're not just going out to do some good. We're going out to do the good of the cross. Because our identity as God's people in the context of God's family is being shaped to look like the cross. Because it's being shaped by the cross. By that self-giving, self-emptying, self-surrendering love. Let's pray.